Masechet Pesachim, Daf 87, we begin the eighth Perek uh, with uh, first some halacha and then some absolutely fascinating and very bold agadot. Mishnah begins, Ha'isha bizman shehi bebet ba'ala, shachat aleha ba'ala veshachat aleha biha, tochal mishel ba'ala. So we know that everyone has to uh, uh, join in with a group for Korban Pesach, uh, so uh, usually people have to say explicitly, I want to join with your group. But people that are a family, children, they can assume that their father has them in mind and they can join. And similarly with a wife, uh, she can join in with her husband. Uh, this pedic follows immediately from the one before that was talking about a kala, a newlywed bride. And so now we're now uh, going into the next step of the relationship now that they're married for a little bit. And so uh, when, when she is with her husband and her husband did shechita, uh, for her, had her in mind for Korban Pesach, and her father also did, because before she was married, she always went to her father. And so now this is the, let's say, the first year married, and both of them have her in mind. In this case, uh, she should go with her husband. Okay, now second clause we learned that actually the first clause was talking about when after, after the first year, all right, second, uh, second year and on, she goes with her husband. But the first year, they had a custom that the wife would go to her own father's house, I guess as the last goodbye, you might have last said that we'll have together. If she decided to go for the first, the first year to her father's house, and and both her father and her husband, both did shechita for her, she can choose whichever she wants. All right, you see here, the beginning of fighting over where you're going to have seded by the in-laws or by the parents, and especially when you only have one seded, then it's a, it's a real problem. Uh, so in that, in, during that first year, she can decide which one she wants to uh, wants to do. The Gemara will discuss at what point is she actually deciding this. Right? It doesn't have to be known at the time of Shechita. Okay, next halacha, yatom sheshachatu alav apot ropin, yochab makom shehu So an orphan has a similar situation. So he's not, he's not doing it himself, but he has guardians. He's my, probably a child. So his guardians, he has more than one guardian, and each guardian does, does korban pesach and says, I'm going to have the yatom in mind. The other one also does. So now which one does he join? If he had, if he had two people had him in mind, yochab makom shehu he can choose whichever one he wants. He can join either. Now the opposite halacha is regarding a slave uh, that's owned by two people. The only thing worse than being thing that worse than being a slave is being a slave a share a, a slave a slave shared by two owners. Um, because in that case, if he was just a slave a, a slave to one person, then it's likely that the owner will have in mind. And so much Evid Kanani. Because when every Kanani is chayav in mitzvot, the same as a woman is. A woman have to eat korban pesach too. Uh, but because he's owned by two people, neither one of the owners wants to uh, sponsor, uh, spend money on uh, on half of the slave, uh, the other half which is not which does not belong to. So therefore, that slave is out of luck. He's got to go and figure out his own arrangements. And similarly, let's say we had those two partners and one of them freed his half ownership of the slave. So now he's half a slave and half free. He also, his master is not going to want to um, spend money to, to, to join only half of his uh, property. The other half is free. And so he also has to go and make his own arrangements. All right. Now that we now that we're going to go back to the first halacha, shemat mina yesh Actually, the second halacha, where it says. 
that in the first year of her marriage, she can decide if she wants to go with her father or with her husband. Uh, what do you mean she can decide? This We assume that this means that, you know, they prepared the Kohen Pesach already, and now she's walking around, okay, you know, let's see who has who has a better meal, and she can decide at that point, whichever she wants. If that's true, then that would mean that there is bedera. Bedera means, means retroactive designation. Uh, when something has to be decided beforehand at the time of Shechita, and she's actually only deciding now, it means that even though she's deciding later on retroactively, that will have made the determination uh, which one she, she wanted. Now, this is a huge machloket all over Shas, if there is bedera or not, and it's not concluded. So now if you're going to tell me that here over here in this one, she could decide later for one before, then that would conclude the whole big discussion. And so, but uh, this, we can't just conclude it from here. We want to be able to explain this Gemara, this Mishnah, even according to the opinion that said that does not like the retroactive designation. So what would they say? They would say that she, that when she went, can she decide? No, she's got to decide at the time of Shechita. She has to clarify right then, right? So no, she, she can assume that her father and her husband both had her in mind, so she doesn't have to go and ask them uh, outright, um, but she is going to have to pick one or the other um, at the time before Shechita so that uh, she will belong to one group only. Okay, good. Now, Urminu, regarding that same halacha, we have another b'raita that contradicts it. Isha, regel michel abiha. According to this, the first year, she goes to her father's house. Uh, our Mishnah said she chooses that first year. Mikan From year two and on, from since the time of their marriage, she can decide to go and eat with her father, not with her husband, or she can go and be with her husband. So according to this, she can choose and eat every every year uh, what she wants to do. According to the Mishnah, uh, they from the from then on, she only has to go with her husband. Only in the first year can she choose. So which one is it? Our answer is when the Baraita says that she can choose either one, that's talking about a woman who eagerly hurries to go to her father's house. She's really connected with her parents. She likes the seder. She likes the way that, you know, they sing the tunes there and the way they make the haroset there. And so she, she misses that. So from the beginning, she's always running to her parents to go to say that there, in that case, in future years also, she can decide to go to her father. However, Kan Beshanadu, the father Mishnah was talking about a case where that first year, she wasn't so eager to go to her father. She's comfortable being in, with her husband and with her in-laws. And so, since she's not so eager to be with the father from then on, uh, she has to be with her husband. All right, so that resolves the uh, the contradiction, and this is very good guidance for uh, for those uh, today who have parents and in-laws. Dichtib. Uh, now um, that that ended the the section of halacha, and now we're going to connect this to a section of agada. Just like a woman who's newly married, it feels connected to her father, but it takes time for the for her to develop a close relationship with her husband. Now we're going to take this to an allegorical level. So too Hashem and Bnei Israel. Pesach, after all, is uh, celebrating the beginning of that of becoming a nation and becoming their relationship, and goes through some difficult times. Um, and uh, we hope uh, we hope that it will continue to be better. Uh, so, okay, the place we're going to go for an allegory uh, as a, of a husband and wife is in Shira Shirim. So, see here he says, then at that point, I was in his eyes found perfect. 
All right. At some point, she, the, uh, the, the woman in the relationship says, oh, okay, he accepted me. This is like a bride that is found perfect in the house of her uh, in-laws, right? The in-laws are kind of suspicious at first. Who is this? Who's marrying our son? But then they come to like her and fully accept her as one of their own. And then she goes and runs to tell her father, oh, I finally was accepted by my in-laws, so I'm so happy about that. This urdufa makes it sound actually like the redufa and the naredufa over here, we can interpret the opposite way. I, I explained according to Rashi, but you can also explain the opposite the way that the one who's running home is the one who's running home to say, Mo, my in-laws love me, so therefore I'm going to actually stay with my in-laws from now on. And the one who doesn't run home is the one who doesn't have news to say because she doesn't feel comfortable still with the in-laws. So if you switch this around, I think the flow with the, with the agada uh, is more smooth. How do we see that one day, uh, us, we, B'nai Israel, we will have that close, intimate relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu from Hoshea, who says, in the future, no longer will you call me Baali, but rather Ishi. Both words are mean husband, but Baal um, is the same word as an owner. This just uh, implies a, a relationship of dominance, domineering, uh, that she has to be in it and, or else. Uh, whereas Ishi is, is, uh, is a nicer word, my, my, my husband, uh, and uh, more intimate. So one day in the future, you won't have that Baali. In other words, we won't have to uh, be uh, part of the covenant as a kind of a, in a dominant way because of punishments, but rather we will do it out of love and intimacy. Uh, similarly, Rabbi Yochanan is going to be an author of a lot of the statements going forward. So um, he says it's similar to a bride and her uh, parents' house, uh, in her in-laws' house, and not like in her parents' house. In other words, uh, when we come and, uh, and develop a relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, is like uh, a bride who is accepted by her in-laws. Okay, since we mentioned Shira Shirim, we're going to continue and, uh, and explicate the the, uh, the allegorical meaning of Shira Shirim. So here, the, the family, the brothers, are worried about their sisters. Is we, have a, we have a little sister, and uh, she has not, she, she's reached an age of maturity, but she has not physically ma- matured yet. And you know, we're going to have to marry her off soon, so you know, what are we going to do? So her breasts have not developed yet. What does that mean? This is a reference to the sages in Ailam. This is in Bavel, uh, where there were many sages there, but they never fully developed. They, uh, they had a merit to learn. They learned a lot, but they did not develop yeshivot there where they taught other students. So this is kind of like a young girl who's young, and you know she, but she hasn't developed shadayim, uh, which would actually nourish uh, child, so too these sages have not taught uh, a future generation of students. So that's one interpretation. Two Pesukim later uh, says, I am like a wall and my breasts are like towers. What does that mean? The wall refers to the Torah. And uh, the Shaddai refer to towers 
these are the sages. In other words, just like if you imagine a city that has a wall and towers guarding it, so that would guard physically from military and military threats. So what is our protection? It's Torah and the towers that, that guard over the Torah are the sages. That's our form of uh, protection, not through physical, but rather through spiritual barriers. Another interpretation is the wall is the Jewish people itself, and uh, the shaddai, the breasts are like that are like towers. Those are the synagogues and bate midrash. All right, those are uh, these the physical study halls where we can, where we gain nourishment and where uh, we can uh, gain that strength uh, to to uh, to fully develop as a nation. So you have a kind of a three-way connection here between um, the intimacy of a, of a, of the lover and the beloved. And uh, similar to a kind of military uh, imagery, but that military imagery itself, when we uh, for Jews, because we don't we didn't ever didn't have a military in exile, refers to our spiritual strength, which keeps us strong. Okay, praising the young men and women of Israel, the young men are like plants that grow up in their youth. So what does that mean? This refers to the young men of Israel who never tasted the taste of sin. In other words, they remain celibate until they are married. So they, uh, they, they're like young, uh, young plants that grow up in their youth. In other words, they retain their full strength and not da- are not damaged. Uh, so they save themselves for their wives. And the same as the flip side that the, our young, the, the, our daughters are like uh, corner pillars. So these are the, the virgins of Israel that close up their openings and save them for, they save themselves for their husbands. Uh, I guess like a kind of a corner that comes to a, comes to a closure. Uh, or in a similar phrasing in Zechariah, that they are filled uh, like basins, like the corner of the altar. So filled in the sense of closed up. And, uh, and so they, uh, they, they, they uh, save themselves again for their husbands. Or another way of uh, another pasuk has similar language that uh, our corners are full uh, from one end to the other. Uh, so I like how this midrash doesn't give a double standard, but expects both the young man and the young woman and, and the young woman to uh, save themselves for marriage. And both these and those, we consider it as if the Bet HaMikdash was actually built in their days. And then we continue with Hoshea. So the very opening of uh, Sefer Hoshea says that he prophesied during these four different uh, kings of Yehuda. At that same time, actually, there were four uh, different, four other Nevi'im uh, alongside Hoshea. 
the beginning of the word of God to Oshea. Now, literally, this just means that this was the first prophecy that he gave as follows. But the, the language sounds like the first word God ever said was to Hoshea. So we wonder, what do you mean? Did God first speak his first prophesy to Hoshea? There were many Nevi'im from the time of Hoshea until Hoshea. What do you mean he's the first? Rather, we mean is he was the first uh, of the four of his contemporaries. Uh, so he was the first to receive prophecy and therefore the greatest. Right, so if we continue reading in uh, that Pedic, Hashem, uh, Hashem tells Hoshea, tells he says, your children have sinned. It doesn't mean Hoshea's biological children. He means B'nai Israel, your people have sinned. Right, similar what Hashem, like, to what Hashem tells Moshe. Hoshea should have answered and said, my children? No, God, they're your children. Right, the ones, the, the children of the, your beloved, Abraham, Isaac, and Yaakov. So therefore, right, extend your mercy to them. So Hoshea should have argued with God and said, uh, you know, that uh, they're okay. He defended the Jewish people. Not only did Hoshea not defend them, he even told God, oh, well, since, uh, since the, the entire world is yours, so you know what? Exchanges, exchange B'nai Israel for another, right? Uh, reject them and choose another nation. And so the, the rabbis here are criticizing Hoshea's handling of, uh, of, the, uh, of their rebuke. Right, turns out Hashem is like testing him the whole time. He says, what am I going to do with this old man, Hoshea? I have to teach Hoshea a lesson. I have to teach him how to be a good, a proper prophet like Moshe was. Um, so how am I going to teach him this lesson? I'm going to put him in the same spot that I am. So he tells, right, this is the famous uh, prophecy. It's always surprising uh, that Hashem tells Hoshea, go and marry a harlot and have children with this harlot. And then Hashem says, I have a secret plan. Then I'm going to tell him to leave to divorce her. It's the same with me. B'nai Israel have, uh, have broken faith with me and gone after other, uh, other gods. So, um, and Hoshea is saying, okay, find a, find a new wife, right? find a new people. Well, let's see if he could do the same thing. He's going to marry a harlot and he's going he's gonna to fall in love with her. He's going to have children with her. Let's see how easy it is for him to do the same thing. If he does it, I'll do it too. Hashem told Hoshea, go and take this harlot and have children. This is her name, but as usual, the Midrash likes to find symbolic meanings of uh, names. Uh, so Gomer, what does Gomer mean? That everybody finishes uh, in her, with her. That uh, In other words, she's such a great uh, zona that uh, she pleases everybody's desires. Diblaim is a a dual form, that she is uh, ill repute, the daughter of ill repute, right? She's doubly ill repute. Uh, Her last name, Bat Diblaim, 
uh, another interpretation of that is that she is sweet like uh, like pressed figs, like uh, fruit roll-ups. Uh, more negative way, everybody steps on her, like when you're making uh, when you're making that amardin, uh, uh, um, right? You step on it to make it flat. So so too, everybody uh, uses her in a degrading way. Or another interpretation of her first name, Gomer, Gomer, in her day, as punishment for Israel's sins, the, uh, the uh, enemy nations tried to wipe out, take away all of her money. Rabbi Yochanan says, in fact, they actually did. Uh, the king of Adam came and, uh, and destroyed them and took everything that they had. And continuing with the story of Hosea, sure enough, she had first a son. Uh, so call me Israel because I am going to uh, uh, visit upon the nation, the blood of Israel on the house of Yehu and, uh, and destroy his dynasty from Israel. This refers to the place where Ahav and Izebel were killed, right? And the Northern, uh, the nor- that, the northern dynasty came to an end. Then she, uh, Hosea's wife had a daughter and her name was, uh, do not give pity. Uh, because God will no longer pity Israel. Uh, that I will, I will no longer pity them and bear them, right? I'll no, no, no longer bear their sin. Then, he, then he, she had a son, a second son, and his name was not my nation. God rejected the people of Israel, said, you are not my people, I am not your God. So all these names uh, are, right, are, are symbolic, are foretelling what's going to happen to, with, with the nation in the future because they did what Hosea did, they, or because they did what, like their mother did, they were not faithful. After he had these two sons and a daughter, so now Hosea comes and says, you know, you should be like Moshe, why don't you learn from him? After I began to prophesy to Moshe, he left his wife. So you should leave your wife as also. This is the test. I have children. I've taken care of my children. We're a family. You know, I can't just divorce her. Right? This is ah, exactly right. That's my point. Look at you. Your your wife is a harlot. Your 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 children are children of harlotry. Sounds like she was continuing to act as a harlot even when she's she was married. And so we don't. He doesn't even know who the children who's who's who, who's the father of the children are. Israel 
בני בחוני, בני אברהם, יצחק ויעקב, אחד מארבעה קניינים שקניתי בעולמי. So if, if, if that's true for you, and you want to stay with your wife, even though she's so bad, how about for me that Israel are my children? I know, I know that they're my children. We were, you know, we had a good relationship when we, when we started. And uh, I know that I'm their father. And they are the children of the, those who I tested. Um, Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. And these are, they are one of the four uh, acquisitions that I acquired in the world. So they're very close to me. I can't just let them go and switch them for another nation. Now that he mentioned the four acquisitions, we have to wonder what those are. Torah is one, because it says, this is in, in uh, Mishle, talking about wisdom, which the rabbis um, take as Torah, that Hashem, Akanani could also mean created, right? Hashem created me very, at the very beginning, before the creation of the world, I was there. And the heavens and the earth, obviously God created them, and so they're his. God's right hand has acquired this, this mountain where the Bet HaMikdash is. And as Yashir, we say, the people whom God has acquired. So they're my special possession. And you say, just switch them? So uh, this was uh, Hoshea you know, learned learned his lesson the hard way, right? Yeah. If he would have uh, if he would have learned from Moshe at the beginning, he wouldn't have had to go through this. But now he sees, right? This is not a just. It's not simply about you know uh, if someone yeah, they hire someone for a job and they don't do it, you fire them. This is a bond of love that Hashem has with us, and even after we sin, Hashem still loves us and and uh, needs to bring us back. Can't just switch us for someone else. So now Hoshea recognizes his lesson, and now he's ready to, uh, to get to the next level and be a prophet like Moshe. So now he says, oh, I sinned. He starts asking forgiveness for himself. He still didn't get the whole point. Don't ask forgiveness for yourself. The whole point is, ask forgiveness for Israel. It's not about you. Now I decreed three things against them uh, because of you, right? The three children he had before, each of their names represent three decrees that Hashem made in the meantime, right? If Hashem would have done his job at the beginning, he would have stopped those decrees. So So now finally Hashem does pray and he was able to nullify the decrees. Actually, the first one for Yisrael did come true in terms of Ahab and uh, Isabel, but maybe the full uh, the the full impact of it for for other for future generations and full exile didn't happen, and the other two did not happen. Uh, right? Obviously, God did not say you are not my nation and I will not pity you. No, God took us back. And not only that, but God even now began to bless Israel. This is now the second pedic of Hosea. They should be as great as the sand and the sea. Instead of saying, calling them not my nation, I will call them, they are the children of the living God. And I'm going to gather them all together and they're going to be in the land and uh, she, the, the nation who I said, will not be pitied, I will pity, and I will say to the nation, one who is not my nation, now you are my nation. All right, so that's a beautiful um, ending to the uh, to Hosea's 
education. Amar Rabbi Yochanan, oi la la rabbanut shemekabelet et ba'aleha. Okay, a tangent that you notice that it's not really good to be a political authority because anyone who has uh, like a king, uh, they end up uh, dying young. How do you see that? That every Navi uh, covers the, reign, the uh, careers of four different kings. So you see a Navi lives a long time and the king keeps changing uh, that he can uh, prophesy during four kings. Shine Emar, Hazon Yeshebin Amosu Shed Hazal, Yudavidu Shalayim, Bime Uzia Yotam Achaz Hiskia. So, like Hoshea, Yeshaya also prophesies uh, during four kings. Amar Biochanan, Biochanan says another thing. Mipne Mazachai Yarob Am, Benyo Ash, Medechisalimanot Im Malche Yehuda. So, in the, in the list before of Hoshea, Besides the four kings of, of, of Judah, also mentioned is Yerovam. This is Yerovam the second, the later, later one. Um, because he did not accept uh, um, slander about Amos. Where do we see that? Well, first of all, how do we see that he was mentioned? Okay, so he's mentioned. Now, the, you know, the southern kings are, based, are mostly good. So why is this northern king, who's usually bad, mentioned with them? Because he did this one good thing. So he got a message, Amasya the Kohen sent a message to Yerobam saying that the prophet Amos said bad things about you. Um, That's pretty bad. You're going to die by the sword. And so King Yerobam says, no, this Sadiq, you wouldn't have said such a, such a bad thing about me. And if he did say it, then he said it because it was a true prophecy. In other words, Amos didn't say it uh, because he's my enemy, because he's looking out for my bad, right? Either he didn't say it, or he said it to, because um, I'm, really, I'm really a bad guy and I, I need to take, uh, take heed of what he said. Uh, so therefore he did not assume that, uh, that Amos had bad intentions and made up something bad about him, but he accepted that Amos had good intentions. Uh, and so because of that, he was uh, merit, he had merit to be mentioned alongside the kings of the south. Right, look, even when God is angry at the, at, the, at the people, even then he remembers his mercy. Because look how it says, how Yoshoshea says it, when he says a negative thing, he mentions it in a positive way. He says, I will uh, no longer be merciful. So instead of, instead of saying, I will destroy them, I hate them, he, he includes the language of mercy as a hint that, you know, maybe I will be merciful one day. The continuation of the Pasuk says, I won't be merciful to the extent that I will uh, bear them any longer, uh, which again is a positive, even though he's saying not, uh, still he mentions the positive words as a hope for the future. Uh, 
כלום אדם זורע שיער אלא להכניס כמה קורין, amazing things is the galut, we think of it as something terrible that we uh, uh, sent into exile, but he says no, God sent us into exile so that we would be able to, uh, to bring converts closer and join them to Judaism, that way we can grow and spread uh, the message of Torah. Okay, usually we think we're not a proselytizing nation. Okay, we don't, we don't require anyone to be a Ger, but this is a very positive statement about Gerut. And in fact, we have to suffer all the indignities and persecutions of exile in order to, uh, to, do, to, to do so. As it says, I will spread, I will scatter you like seed in all the, all the earth. Now, why do you scatter seed if not to grow a lot of harvest? So too, we're supposed to be scattered where the seeds to grow more harvest, to bring more people closer to Torah. Again, back to Hosea, when, uh, when Hosea says, uh, I will say to uh, people, who, uh, so to a lo'ami, to people who are not my people, you are my people. Who is that? That means non-Jews who are not my, God's people. They will convert and then become God's people. Right, from the rest of the verse, not, this, not these words. Again, this is another statement of Rabbi Yochanan, but it relates to the lesson that Hosea said. A pasuk in Mishleh says, do not tattletale uh, to a master about his slave, that his slave do, is doing something bad, because he will curse you and you will be uh, and you will be ashamed, right? Not going to be a tattletale. The next pasuk says, a generation who curses their father and does not bless their mother. Now, what's the connection between those two pesukim? Does the second pesuk doesn't even say what about that generation? What? It's because do not uh, do not tattletale on a slave to his master because uh, because it's a generation that curses their father. Like, what does one have to do with the other? Even a generation like his generation, where now we're talking about Bnei Israel, and they um, they they did not bless uh, their God, God, meaning their right, their mother, right? They did not treat God uh, with uh, with respect. Um, the opposite. Nevertheless, even though Bnei Israel are being terrible children. Do not, you don't be the one to go and tattletale to the master, meaning Hashem, about the slaves, meaning Bnei Israel, right? You should go and defend them. That's your job. So same uh, idea as before. Um, now more on the concept of the positive aspects of Galut. From Shirat Devorah, the righteous acts of his rulers, Pirzono, right? Uh, unusual word. So the Midrash switches the two of the letters around and says this was a great, a great um, act of kindness that God did to Israel and the fact that he scattered them, right? Between the nations. Oh, we should be thankful for this. Wow, this is kind of surprising. Why? One time a heretic Challenged to be Chaninan says, "Anan ma'alinan minaihu, we're better than you." Keti bechu kisheshet chodashim yashab sham. Regarding Yoab, 
uh, and uh, the, he was the general of David. Uh, one time they remained in Edom for six months until they killed every male in Edom. And uh, then later on, his, uh, right, his, uh, uh, the next generation came back to take revenge against Shalom. So it says, look at you, look at your nation. You go and commit genocide to all the males of Edom. Because you were in charge there, right? You had, uh, you had, you had the military dominance. And yet you, is a Roman talking, right? You Jews are living among us, amongst the Romans for many years, and we don't do anything to you, right? We don't bother you. We don't commit genocide. We don't kill you all. So you see, we Romans are more righteous than you Jews. Uh, what's he going to answer? So the Chanina says, oh, my student will answer that. It's like, you know, even my chauffeur knows the answer to that question, right? So uh, that's an easy one. Uh, the student said, uh, came, and he took over. No, you want to kill us. We know you want to kill us. You just don't know how to. It's not because of your good intentions. You're just not strong enough. What are you going to wipe out every Jew that's in the Roman Empire? We don't all live in the Roman Empire. There's uh, Jews that live in the Persian Empire and in other places all around the world. And if you do kill all the Jews in the Roman Empire, then you'll be known as a genocidal nation. This Roman heretic says, you're right, and he swears by the God of the Romans. Uh, the word gapa is unusual, uh, uh, probably a... Um, could be a, a word that in Greek that means a high place or something maybe like a tower like this. They, they used to have these towers that had pictures of all the different gods on them. So in other words, this Roman is swearing by a pillar or swearing by the, the Roman gods and says, actually, you're right. We, you know what we think about day and night? How can we destroy all the Jews? And it's very difficult for us because you're all over the place and we don't know how to eliminate right, the Jewish people. This is the original Jewish problem. Uh, so it's really uh, quite amazing to read this here um, after after um, the Holocaust and uh, you know the Nazis um, uh, almost ki killing almost all of the Jews under their territory and in fact well going down in history as the a genocidal nation and yet still not being su successful uh, because there were Jews that live in other countries. Uh, that were not under their domain. So it's like, you know, this paragraph just can plucked out of history, the, the Jewish problem that the non-Jews are thinking about and uh, was actually um, uh, tragically enacted. What does it mean that God understands its ways and knows its place? This pasuk is referring to Torah. God knows how, how can people, how will the Jews stay committed? So he knows that they will not be able, the Jewish people will not be able to uh, withstand the persecutions of the Romans. Uh, and that is why he sent the, their our main exile, who were sent to many lands, but uh, most of the Jews were exiled to Babylonia, with, under the Persian Empire, and they were kinder. 
Why go to Bavel? Because it's it's lower down, and so it's kind of close to Sheol. And since God will redeem us once we go to Sheol, so uh, in a way, this is like a negative, uh, a negative. Persia is so bad that it's a good place to go because it can't get any worse. It can only be up from there. This is in a good way. They speak Aramaic there. It's a Semitic language. It's similar to Hebrew. And so they should go to a place where they speak a language that's close. And that way, that will help them with the study of Torah. So that's the fulfillment of this Pasuk, that God knows them and knows where in exile they will be able to succeed the best. These words, Gezerot Shalomim, in printed editions, it doesn't say Romim, it says Edom. Uh, because uh, uh, they, uh, you know, because of censors, not to mention Rome, which is understood as Christianity. Um, okay, but here they, they put it back. Um, uh, another reason why Benesel went to Bavel, were exiled to Bavel, is they were sent back to their mother's home. That's where we're from in the first place. Abraham was from Urkastim in Bavel. So, in other words, you sinned. Okay, go back to go back to your mother's home. A man is angry at his wife. He sends her back to her mother's home. This takes us full circle to the Mishnah, right? About the uh, the newlywed uh, wife who wants to go to Seder with her, in her father's home. And this follows Rabbi Alexandria. His three different things went back to where they came from. The Jews went back to where they came from. That's what we're just referring to, that they went back to Babel. Um, uh, so the the money that the Jews that the Israelites took from their Israelite from their Egyptian neighbors during Yisrael Mitzrayim, remember they borrowed the gold and silver and clothing, and so he's like, we borrow this, and then they ran away. They never returned the things that they borrowed. Ah, oh, eventually they were borrowed, and that's when King Shishak of Egypt came and raided uh, Jerusalem and uh, took all those items. Uh, here is uh, here's a, a, a picture of Shishak, and here is a inscription that lists all the things that he did and shows he went to the north and the south of Israel and plundered there. So that's when they got their stuff back. And the writing on the two luchot also was returned to heaven. When Moshe broke, uh, broke the luchot, the letters flew back to where they came from. Uh, maybe this is from the word le'enechem. I broke them in front of you. You saw. What did you see? You must have seen some kind of amazing things. So that the, uh, the broken luchot is not a degradation, but rather showing the point to the people that you broke the covenant. But the ideas of the, of the luchot still remain and uh, fl- flew back to heaven. And we'll do uh, one more uh, paragraph. Why did Ben Yisrael go to Bavel? Because there's dates there. The dates are delicious. 
And that way, since they have so, so their food so plentiful, they can engage in Torah study and not have to worry about what they eat, what they're eating. Okay, that's what he said. One day he went from Eretz Yisrael to Pumpedita and he was looking forward to those dates. They brought him a whole basket full of, of these dates and he said, oh, these are fantastic. How much can you buy for one zoos? Three baskets of these dates for one zoos. He says, wow, that's really cheap. The food is so cheap, and yet they don't study Torah, right? Well, how come the Babylonians aren't more proficient than Torah? All you have to do is work a little bit. You have one zoos, you could buy these three baskets of dates, and that'll last you. So you should, should, they should have been spending so, more time learning Torah. He takes this as a criticism of them. However, he learned his lesson at night. At night, he got a stomachache. <laughs> from the from the dates, he said, Oh, I see you can buy a basket full of lethal poisonous dates for Azuz. These dates are horrible. And yet the Babylonians nevertheless continue and study Torah. Wow, that's amazing that they're able to study Torah, even though their food is so bad. So he turned the negative into a positive. Uh, so maybe it's similar to the uh, theme of Hosea, right? Rather than looking down at the Jewish people, you should always find uh, something positive about them and defend their, uh, their honor. But it's really amazing that the rabbis in Bavel are uh, finding reasons to, uh, to think about their own situation and look at the bright side of being in exile, uh, the opportunities uh, to connect to other nations and the protection that it affords them not to have all their eggs in one basket, but to be spread among the nations, uh, which will be one of, the, uh, one of the secrets of their continuity, especially if they're in a land where that, that is comfortable and where they can continue learning Torah. Baruch Adonai Lolam, Amen, Amen.